When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 16 of the Pitched Contact podcast, part of the Twins Talk Network. I'm your host, Ben Jones, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, John Kuh. John, how is your hamate bone feeling today? Uh, I haven't checked, but I think it's in better condition than Mike Trout, which is probably a good thing. That's also a good thing. Hopefully, it's not in better condition than Walker Jenkins, who the Twins just took uh, fifth overall. Hopefully, his is fine and dandy and ready to go because uh, that's the big concern for him, apparently. Yeah, I, I'm kind of surprised. I mean, I I don't know human anatomy that well, so the hammock bones are, believe a bone in your hand, correct? Yeah, um, it's the it's the bone right in the bottom of your hand, right basically where if you're holding a bat, mm-hmm. the knob hits against it. Right. And so a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, hamate bones are kind of what, like a little bit of risk of lower power sort of thing. Yeah. So a lot, a lot of talk of that with uh, Trout, with Jenkins. We'll get into more of that in the end. But first, uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter. You can follow us at Twins Talk Pod for now, as long as Twitter exists. Uh, we also have a Threads account, I believe. John, what's our username there? Same thing, Twins Talk Pod. Okay, there you go. Same thing there as well. We are not using it for anything, I don't think, as of now. But in case the Twitter uh, deadening does finally come, we have an account there. You can give us uh, a follow as well. And then, of course, on your podcast platform of choice, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, wherever you get them, we will be there. And you can uh, leave us a five-star review as well. Uh, So as normal, we'll be going over our weekly game recaps. And then at the end, we'll uh, give you our thoughts on the Twins draft picks uh, and where we think they're going to slot in right now and you know where they can impact the Twins long-term. Uh, so let's start uh, with our weekly snapshot. So the Twins went 3-3. Three and three. It was a very exciting beginning of the week with a sweep against Kansas City and a very disappointing end of the week getting swept by the Baltimore Orioles. The Twins are currently 45-46 and 46 for the season, a game under 500 at the halfway mark here. Uh, heading into the all-star break and officially are half a game behind the guardians who are 45 and 45. So at the all-star break, not a single AL central team uh, has a winning record. Yeah. And then also after leading the AL central for basically the entirety of the season, of course, once we hit the all-star break, the twins are now in second in second by half a game. So, you know, it, it is what it is, but it, it's not. We've been saying it all year. It's not going to take much to win this division. If one team can have a ten and zero, like ten and zero, or a twelve and one, two week stretch somewhere here between the Guardians and the Twins, that's pretty much going to seal the deal. So hopefully the Twins get to that sooner than the Guardians do. Yeah, and I don't even know how motivated the Guardians are to like go after the division. Not saying that like no one want they don't want to win the division, but I feel like the Twins have a lot more to prove. Whereas the Guardians are like, yeah, we're still. We're still young. We still have time for our core to kind of grow. So, yeah, um, yeah. It, it those are all just really 
stuff that we just throw into the ether ultimately it's just whoever you know finishes with the most wins well and frankly for the guardians whether they're winning or losing they're kind of going to operate the same way since they operate with such a low payroll and so whether shane bieber gets dealt at the deadline has almost nothing to do with the guardians record right yeah they will deal him even if they're uh doing well (laughs) yeah exactly and so what wherever the guardians are sitting it doesn't impact them as much the twins maybe a little bit different uh but we'll see what happens so let's get into the royals games the good news for the week uh let's start with game one yeah so this was an 8-4 victory joe ryan was the starter six innings six hits two earned runs one walk and nine strikeouts as you recall his most recent start was uh, against atlanta where he gave up five homers to one of the hottest offenses in baseball and of course he now got to face one of the weakest offenses in baseball and did fairly well there uh the four seamer and slider worked well together basically the second straight game that the slider was actually getting whipped. So he's, it seems like he's developing that, that pitch a little bit more kind of making it more of a whiff pitch for him and something to just rely on uh, it. In addition to his fastball, uh, which is good to see. And with the bats, I mean, eight, four victory, uh, they actually started pretty quick in the first had two hits and a sack fly RBI from Buxton. Um, and then the score kind of was tied for a bit until the eighth inning when uh, Edward Julian came in to pinch hit and hit a homer uh, that led to five runs in that uh, inning uh, leading to an eight, three lead. Um, eventually the twins gave uh, another run in the ninth finishing eight, four, but um, yeah, it was, it was kind of a close game up until that inning. Carlos Correa kind of led the way with a four hit game. Uh, I was good to see some offensive output from him. Yeah, the uh, the Royals always make you look good. They have bad hitters, they have bad pitchers, and the Twins took advantage, right? And so a, a lot of this kind of comes with the caveat of Yats against the Royals, but the Royals are still a major league team. Uh, everybody gets the chance to play the Royals, and not everybody sweeps the Royals. So Yeah, actually, and this game was kind of interesting too because literally first pitch of the game, Joe Ryan gives up a homer to Michael Garcia. Yeah. And, and it's like, oh, it's one of those games. Uh, but he <laughs> recovered from that, you know, finished with only two another earned run nine strikeouts so uh good yeah. for him to it bounce back in this way if i remember correctly uh, i believe that garcia home run was the royals first one in the previous like eight games so <laughs> yeah. figures kind of brutal yeah yeah uh moving on to game two then this was a nine three victory kenta maeda was the starting pitcher going seven innings with three hits one and run one walk and nine strikeouts as well Pretty impressive from Maeda. I was really glad he went seven innings on this one after going two straight starts with five innings. Uh, Funny enough, though, the Twins only let him get to 87 pitches. He was just so much more efficient in this one. The splitter, the slider, and his four-seamer, again, all working well together. That was the the key to success for his past two starts as well. When he has all three pitches going, it's just a really elite performance from Maeda. Yeah, he. this is by far his best performance of the year. It's basically this and his first one of the season mm-hmm. uh, where he had, I think, 10 strikeouts in five innings, something like yep. that. And so, um, yeah, it, it was really good to see. And I think it's a good sign that they let him get up to 87 pitches. Uh, maybe part of that was that this was his last start before the All-Star break. And so he was going to have a long, long time off before he needed to take the mound again. But either way, you know, you still want to see the positives. If nothing else, it kind of helps Kenta get in the right mental space to get back to the pitcher he was before. Because I know that is a big part of it beyond just the physical and getting back is seeing yourself be successful, seeing your pitches working. Uh, that can really help you long term as well. 
Yeah. Plenty of run support for Mayet as well. Nine runs, obviously. It was a great day for Max Kepler. He went two for three with four RBI. Uh, we've got a homer in this one as well. Uh, Solano and Buxton also had three hit games. Both of them also had solo homers. So uh, just a really good offensive output from the team in general. Yeah, definitely. Uh, This team will do as well as Carlos Correa and Byron Buxton do. And this Royal Series, they were both hitting pretty well. And, you know, that's why they got where they got. Yeah. Game three is probably the most exciting of the bunch. Uh, It was a 5-0 victory. But why it was great was because Pablo Lopez pitched nine innings, four hits, no earned runs with 12 strikeouts. It was the Twins' second complete game shutout in as many weeks. Joe Ryan obviously was the pitcher beforehand, breaking a six-year drought. Um, just elite stuff from Pablo the entire day. All of his pitches were on. Uh, he could do no wrong. If Honestly, if, if I wanted to nitpick on one thing, um, I was wishing that he'd uh, – kind of throw the slider and the changeup just a little more bring down the fastball usage uh the changeup especially i was like kind of frustrated i was i was at the game and just every time he faced a lefty i was like oh come on just throw a change up here <laughs> just down and outside like they'll they'll think it's in they'll swing but he really loves the backdoor slider and it kind of it just kind of annoys me when he does that uh i would love to see him use the changeup just a little bit more because it's so good um against lefties and it's been his bread and butter for his yeah. entire career well i yeah you saying that i almost wonder if it's something where they're maybe just trying to get some pitch work done in games almost mm-hmm. right where it's against the royals you're going really well everything's working um maybe you just wanted to work on that slider a little bit because everybody knows that Pablo's best pitch is his changeup, right? It has been yep. his entire career. Mm-hmm. And this year, the reason he's taken that next step is because we've seen the slider get a little more effective, the fastball get a little more velocity on it. Right. Um, and so maybe it was just a little bit of that of it's the Royals. Let's see uh, what, what we can find here. For sure. Uh, with the bats, uh, got five runs, obviously. So decent night for them. Uh, obviously, obviously a little bit quieter than the two nights before with less runs. Uh, only had five hits on the day. Uh, it was good to see Julian back in the starting lineup, though. He hadn't been in the last two games. Yes, he had the pinch hit homer in game one, but he didn't yeah. start it. Uh, he had not uh, a homer in the first inning, so good for him. Uh, and then Jeffers was uh, the backstop in this game, and he had a pretty solid one uh, batting from the nine hole, went two for three with a homer as well. Yeah, this was also the game where he took a throw directly to his neck. Um, when when he's, uh, I think it was first inning, second inning, somewhere around there early on, but, uh, he was just coming home. The throw home caught him right in the neck, bounced off of him. He stayed down for a while, but he stayed in the game and then later hit the home run. So maybe got a little bit of a welt on his neck, but was no worse for the wear long-term, which was great to see. And then Julian. Yeah. I I think we're going to talk about this a little bit more in the future as it pertains to, um, Jorge Polanco specifically, mm-hmm. but Julian's probably been the twins best hitter since he's been brought back up when Polanco got hurt. Yeah. And so they have to find a way for him to stay in the lineup with Byron at DH and with Polanco at second when Polanco comes back. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was a little confusing to see him out the back-to-back games to start the series. I think the first one was against the lefty. Um, so that makes a little bit more sense for the second one against Grinky. He's got reverse splits, but he's Zach Grinky. He throws, you know, 89 miles an hour max. And so I think it would have been nice to see Julian in there regardless, start to get him a little bit more work and, you know, develop him a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I believe Julian actually leads the team in OPS right now. Uh, Granted, like it's, he hasn't had as many games. So obviously like he's not technically a qualified uh, batter. Um, But that being said, you know, he is, he's got 
he's been known for his bat to ball skills, right? And he's yeah. clearly showing off the power as well uh, in this series and in other series as well. Um, it, he doesn't feel like a guy who you platoon. Um, like, yes, he's a lefty, but his his eye at the plate is so good. He should be able to do well right. against, against other lefties. Yeah, even even if he's not really, like, hitting as well as you would like, the plate discipline, right? He had a mm-hmm. above 400 on-base percentage of the minors last year, right? He'll, he'll take a good amount of walks even without that. And, again, with the offense being where it's at, is it really going to be that much better if you have Kyle Farmer in there versus Julian, you know? Right, yeah. And definitely, so, I'm not even going to mention Jose Miranda, who just can't stop hitting weak ground balls to the right side. It is a little frustrating. I, I noticed it was, they, they didn't start Miranda in, I think, half the games this week. Um, yeah. And, you know, him being kind of the direct replacement for Royce Lewis, I, I felt like that was telling of just how little they trust his bats to be able to generate yeah. um, generate offense. Like, he's making contact. He's not, like, having bad strikeouts or anything like that. But the contact just isn't getting anywhere. It's either just a you know a, a liner straight to an outfielder, which isn't completely his fault. Like that's just sometimes that's how it it, it happens. But yeah, like the weak grounders for sure can be can yeah. be a little infuriating. Well, and that that's the whole thing too. That's been his problem all year. He's never been a big strikeout guy. He's going to make contact, but it's almost like he has the complete opposite problem with the rest of the Twins hitters, where we need you to swing at fewer strikes. We need you to swing at better strikes, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're making weak contact way too much, and his contact skills are his best feature, but they're almost hurting him too. Where uh, I, I remember one, there was a fastball. Uh, you know, he bats right-handed, so it was mm-hmm. up and out of the zone, and he still somehow got on top of it and grounded it to the second baseman. And yeah. I'm like, that's like that's too much. Let that pitch go. You know, you right. don't need to swing that. It wasn't a two-strike count when it mm-hmm. happened. And so that's the big thing. And I mean, let's get into this right now. With Polanco, the update with him is that he should be back relatively soon after the All-Star break. He's going to start a rehab assignment. Mm-hmm. And so when that happens, the easy move is, okay, Julian, you're sent back down. But – like we, do, we were just talking about, Julian's probably the best hitter in the lineup right now. And mm-hmm. so what happens? Buxton's still going to be the DH. It doesn't sound like that's going to change. So if you need to get his bat in the lineup, he's got to start taking reps at third. That's really the only option because you're not going to throw him in left or right. Um, the Twins have better options there if they want to make a change from Gallo or Kepler anyway. And so he's got to take some reps at third. That's really the only option. Or Polanco does. I don't know. I'm very interested to see. I think if they send Julian down, though, it's going to be a big mistake. Yeah, I personally don't don't see him at right because the issue with him is the the arm strength, right? And yeah, now, that's true. If he's got to make throws across the diamond, like I'm even more worried about that. Um, but is it is it worse than Jose Miranda? You know, <laughs> like Jose Miranda's yeah. defense is actually low key kind of good. Like he he's had some gems the past few games, like as much as he's been sucking on, on offense, like his defense at third has been pretty solid. And I don't think they're going to make Jorge Polanco take a position change mid season. Right. He's been at second too long. He's very good there defensively. Yeah. And so I don't think they're going to do that. And so then it just leaves the question of, you know, probably again, brought on by Byron Buxton, full-time DH. Mm -hmm. How do you get your best hitters in the lineup? And in this case, how do you even get your best hitters on the team? Because Mm -hmm. if Julian's not in the lineup every day, he probably doesn't have a role in the team at all. Right. Yeah. And, and it's tough here too, because Polanco is a switch hitter. So you're not platooning them. Uh, right. Also, you wouldn't want to platoon them in the first place, but even if that was like the way you wanted to keep the bat in the lineup, it doesn't make sense to platoon uh, Polanco and Julian. Um, I just, it, 
it is weird that our gaping hole at third base can only be filled by Kyle Farmer or Jose Miranda right now. Don't forget Willie Castro still leading the team in offensive wins above replacement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> With a 680 OPS. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, like it, it, I was just thinking about this this week. It's just, it's so frustrating that Willie Castro is an everyday player for this team. <laughs> like, it's it, it almost feels weird when he's not in the lineup. <laughs> I know. Well, and, and it's funny too, because once you finally get to the point where he's not an everyday player, yeah. somebody else gets hurt, right? Royce Lewis gets hurt. Okay, now right. Willie Castro, you're back to pretty much an everyday player. And it, that's what it's all tied to, too, is Royce Lewis, right? If Royce Lewis was out for a week, two weeks, then not a big deal. We'll deal with Farmer and Miranda until mm-hmm. Royce Lewis is able to come back. They're hoping he comes back in August. I would bet we don't see him till the beginning of September. With that oblique, that's a really big deal for any baseball player, but hit it yeah. especially where you got to generate that torque. We were talking about this last week. And uh, they're not going to rush him back, right? He has too long of an injury history. They're mm-hmm. going to make sure he's 100% ready to go. And so even if you lose quite a bit defensively by having Julian over at third, there's no other way to have his bat in the lineup right now. Right. Unless the only other thing I can think of would be Joey Gallo plays some third base, which he hasn't done since 2017. And then you put Kirilov in the outfield and Julian at first. And that's, yeah. you're moving a bunch of guys into positions you don't want them to be at that point. Yeah. Although if I'm really being honest this week, I've been talking myself into the Joey Gallo DFA conversation. That's probably, that's probably a good conversation. Like, to, like he got DFA last year and then, you know, we signed him for one year, $11 million. And like, as much as it would suck to just, you know, flush that down the toilet, He's been so bad. I think this, I think this, this is this the, I think this is the mistake a lot of fans make on a one year deal. There's no such thing as a bad one year deal. You can cut him at any point. Right? Yeah, it's true. You've already paid the money. The money spent. It's a sunk cost. If another yep. team picks him up and picks up a portion of that, great. If they don't, great. And mm-hmm. so it, it's a sunk cost, and you've got to be thinking about it, especially as we're coming into the second half here. How do we get our nine best hitters, not just best players, but best hitters on the lineup? Because right. if you're looking at full what everything everything they bring Joey Gallo is still probably one of the nine best players you can run out there. But the problem is the twins desperately need offense and they're not getting it from him. And so at at what point do you say the defensive advantage that you're getting here isn't worth it? Same thing with farmer. Not that farmer is going to get DFA, right? Because he's a bench role. That's kind of what he's best suited as, Mm -hmm. but move him to the bench. And then we're going to take the worst defense from Julian or whoever to try to get a better bat in the lineup. Yeah, I mean, man, Gallo was so frustrating. Like, there was one at bat, I think it was in in Saturday's game, which, I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but since we're on this rant already, (laughs) um, he had two called strikes from changeups up in the zone, and then he swung on a high fastball. I don't fault him for swinging on the high fastball. Right. But I legitimately think, like, I mean, this whole, like, you know, the players only meeting, like, talking about like how, how we're going to change our strategy with hitting and stuff like that. And, you know, part of it is the twin strategy was focusing on like, let's, let's, you know, take advantage of mistakes. Let's look for specific pitches. And that's why, you know, you were getting frustrated with like, um, you know, fastballs just going down the middle and them not swinging on it. Galloway, I think is a guy who legitimately like only looks for fastballs. And yeah. as soon as he thinks like a pitch is out of the zone, he just doesn't swing at it. Unless it, and then turns out, Oh, it's a breaking ball that comes in for a, you know, a, uh, a cult strider, things like that. And it's just the, I don't know. It's so frustrating to watch him literally stand up there for three, three pitches and then just strike out. Yeah. Like he, he's supposed to be also a little bit of a walk machine 
And I get that he has a good eye, but sometimes he just doesn't. He just doesn't see these. Well, that's balls. been the problem is he hasn't been taking very many walks recently, right? And yeah. so, um, someone mentioned me the other day. They're like, "Oh, why isn't Joey Gallo hitting in the leadoff spot anymore?" Uh, you know, because that seemed to work for the couple weeks that they had him do it. I'm like, well, it's yeah. because not only is he not getting hits, he's not hitting homers, he's not getting on base anymore. And so, yeah. it, you know, there's no advantage to putting him up there. Yeah, I know we can look this up, but just from an eye test and my personal frustration, mm-hmm. Joey Gallo must have the worst in zone whiff rate of anybody in the league. <laughs> I feel like I see him swing through so many pitches in the zone. He just doesn't, it, it's not a competitive at bat so often, like you were talking about. Yeah. It, oh man, I mean, it's, it's easy to nitpick on him because some of his strikeouts have come in really big spots. Like, again, I talked about this last week. I'll, I'll bring it up again. Like the, the game against the Brewers, eighth inning bases loaded three, two count. And the pitcher dropped in a slider for a called strike because Joey was looking fastball. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that pitch is out of the zone. And um nope, it, it fell in the zone. So yeah. it's yeah, to me it's it's easy to nitpick on these things because they're they're obvious to nitpick on. And obviously it's hard to not get annoyed at a guy who's batting one eighty six with a three oh two OBP. Like it's just yeah, it's it's easy to get frustrated about that. And that that's Joey's thing, right? He goes in slumps. Like just two weeks ago, we were singing the praises of Joey Gallo, right? He was hitting homers like none other. But now he's kind of back to being bad Joey Gallo, but bad Joey Gallo, and it's yeah. it's frustrating. And it's what we talked about with Kepler a couple weeks ago when Kepler wasn't hitting, and there you go, Kepler turned it around. Now all of a sudden, his season numbers are still looking bad, but not atrociously horrible. And so, yeah. mm-hmm. um, things can turn around quick. That's the nice thing about baseball, but especially with the trade deadline coming up. Um, there will be someone that has some level of interest in Joey Gallo, I'm sure, just reputation alone, left-handed hitting, uh, you know, good fielding, decent running. Somebody will have interest in him mm-hmm. and maybe just sell him off there and get a very low-level prospect. Or maybe if there's not, maybe just DFAM because you're not going to get worse production out of Walner and Larnick. So. Yeah. So you want to know the fun thing? Yeah. Let's look it up the stat that you were asking about. <laughs> so for batters who've seen a minimum number of 500 pitches this season, Joey Gallo is in first place in, oh, in, in the zone whiffs. I knew it. I knew it. I could just feel it. it 11.6%. Like, yeah, there we go. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's kind of incredible how like that is actually a, like, yeah, you were dead on right with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and this was the whole thing, too, when they signed him, which is. The Twins finally got rid of Miguel Sano, who had the second worst uh, strikeout rate in MLB history, and yeah. brought in the player that was first. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he can play good defense. Yeah, th- which Sano definitely couldn't. So it's something. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, let's uh, let's get into the second series. Ironically, we got into the depressing part before we even got to the depressing games, but yeah. let's get into it anyway. Let's talk about the Orioles. Yeah, so game one of this series, a 3-1 loss. Bailey Ober was a starter with six innings, four hits, one and run, three walks, five strikeouts. Honestly, no notes here. This is pretty much what you want from Ober. Uh, and the fact that he gives the bats a chance to compete every single night, giving up only on one earned run in six innings, that's all you want from him. And uh, yeah, 
I'm cool with that. Yeah, if I no complaints about Ober, the pitching in general this series until the last game was really strong. Um, just no offense whatsoever. Yeah, it was frustrating because we were facing Cole Irvin for the second time in the last yeah. two weeks. We had just faced him the week before. And again, Cole Irvin, I mean, he did deal with some injury stuff. He was set down to AAA, though. Uh, I believe this was just like his fifth start of the season, something like that. Anyways, yeah. offense was non-existent. Five hits, two walks, eight strikeouts. Just a uh, trend of performance, poor performance against lefties again, which honestly, every time someone brings that up, it's a little confusing to me considering that their best hitters on the team supposedly are Carlos Correa and Byron Buxton, who are both righties. Yeah. Um, and you have Kyle Farmer, who has like a really good track record against lefties career-wise. Up until this year, yeah. Up until this year, right? And then so like they have good right-handed bats, but they just can't generate any offense. Yeah. Um, against against lefties. And it's not just like, this isn't Shane McClanahan, right? This is Cole freaking Irvin. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. he he was sent down to AAA like two weeks ago because he couldn't pitch well. Like, he's he's throwing an 89-mile-an-hour fastball. This game, actually, I think he was up around like 93, 94, which is a little, I don't know if I want to call it suspicious, but a little weird. And so uh, that, that was kind of interesting. But either way, you know, it's not like it's this guy with overpowering stuff, and yet right. the Twins just can't figure out any lefty at all yeah it was one of the more frustrating starts to watch just because it it wasn't like even a thing where like they were getting on base and not batting anyone in they just couldn't get on base only five hits two walks in in those six innings that that Irvin pitched yeah definitely so yep that was a auspicious start to this uh this series game two was a six, two loss. Uh, Sonny gray was a starter with six innings, six hits, six earned runs, three walks and five strikeouts. Of course, the big story here was the disaster in the second inning where he just kept getting up, giving up singles. Um, of course this whole run started when Julian missed. I don't know if it was an easy grounder. I was at the game. It looked like a kind of an easy grounder that just kind of went under his glove. Anyway, it rolled into the outfield to allow the first hit, and it basically just unraveled from there. Uh, he kept on just giving up contact to you know grounders through the through the infield or just you know short outfield fly out, fly balls. Um, and then when the bases were eventually loaded, uh, two straight walks. So walked in yeah. two runs, including kind of frustratingly, his first walk that he gave up was a four pitch walk to rookie Colton Kowser. Who was literally playing in like I think his fifth MLB game or something like that? It was it was a four pitch walk, but the fourth pitch was very clearly a strike. It wasn't right yeah. down the middle; it was a little bit low, but it yeah. was a pretty bad missed call. Yeah, it like for sure. Like there were some issues here. Like the the ump did miss three calls in that in, that inning in total. So one of them was a ball call on a uh, Colin Kowser that that uh, eventually led to that walk but his command was just literally all over the place that inning just just couldn't get anything going um I, he was trying to you know get guys to whiff his fastball wasn't really finding the zone though you know eventually gave up six runs and then just like was fine like it was kind Very of funny weird. they were they actually they were warming up someone in the bullpen and then uh Sonny just came out and pitched great for the next four innings um granted it was a pretty low leverage situation like right. they were up you know six one i think uh so that's probably why they kept in him because it was like well it can't get any worse um so we might as well save our bullpen for game three 
And it's a, it's a good thing they did. But uh, yeah, Sonny, <laughs> outside of that second inning, he was weirdly solid. I would bet he doesn't pitch in the All-Star game just because, right. you know, he, he's been talking about how he's been a little fatigued recently. I wonder if maybe that played into this one a bit too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so I, I would imagine he doesn't pitch there. But it, it was just a very strange performance to see him kind of almost not break down because – a lot of the singles were pretty soft singles still, mm-hmm. even despite yep. the lack of control. And so it's not like he was getting, this wasn't Joe Ryan last week against the Braves, right? No, this yeah. was, he wasn't he, getting he singled to death. Yeah. Singled to death. Yep. Yeah. I, that's basically what I tweeted on, on Friday or on Saturday was his pitches actually looked great. Like the slider and the curve were both getting whiffs. They were doing really solid, but every, just, you know, it two strike, two strikes gives up a hit, you know, and, and yeah. yeah, these are just weak hits that, you know, they're falling for, they're falling for singles, you know, they're not like extra base hits or anything like that. So, yeah. And with the, the Miss Julian play, that's kind of the trade-off I was talking about before. Right. Yeah. But unfortunately when the team still isn't hitting, not a lot of room for any mistakes. Right. So yeah. basically once for me, it was like, once we give up that third run, I was like, yeah, this one, this one might be over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, to that point too, Julian actually played some decent defense for the rest of the game at, yeah. at, at, at second base. It was just, yeah, it was, it's obviously that, that first hit that he let through. That's the one that people yeah. are going to focus on. Yeah. There's a reason he gets subbed out of the seventh inning every single game, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, moving on to the bats, um, they were facing former twins, Tyler Wells. Um, who has kind of turned out to be like a top 10 pitcher this season or something like that. Yeah. Um, it was classic twins karma. Anyways, um, they did get some early base runners on him in the first inning. So I was actually a little optimistic. It was, uh, um, they, I think they managed to get two men on base I- immediately. And then they got one run in the first inning, but nothing else after that. And then obviously gray gives up the six runs. So it's now a six, one deficit for the rest of the game. But they did get plenty of base runners. Um, they actually didn't strike out that much. Only only struck out seven times, which is pretty good. But just were you know over eight with runners in scoring position. There were two grounded into double plays. Carlos Correa had one of those for his league leading sixteenth. Uh, so that's great. Uh, but Donovan Solano was kind of the man of the day. If you wanted to, you know, get some bright spots from the offense, he had three doubles. Yeah. Um, but basically for batters five to eight, so, you know, four batters, essentially, none of them generated any hits. Uh, Max Kepler did get two walks, so he at least got on base, but, uh, you know, they basically did nothing to spark any offense at all. Yeah. I mean, it's good they were getting on base, I guess, but yeah, the, the Correa double play especially is, was just such a killer yeah. one where, and it feels like that's how a lot of Correa's are. And it, he leads the league in double plays. That's never good, right? Yeah. Uh, you, you need him putting the ball in the air more. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's been very difficult to watch it happen. Yeah. Uh, in case you're wondering, the single-season Twins record for GIDPs in a season is uh, Harmon Killebrew with 28. Well, and that's, good. That's, good, had, uh, that's a good name to be associated yeah. with, I guess. So uh, the, the bad part is, is Correa is not hitting any home runs to back it up like Kilbrew was. So uh, Correa was at 14 exactly at the halfway point of the season. He's at 16 now. So now he's trending a little bit ahead of breaking a twins record. Uh, not a good one, but breaking one nonetheless. So that we, we talked about it already, but I just want to say it again. The, the twins offense is going to go as Correa and Buxton goes. And we talked a little bit about the trade deadline before and why maybe it's not the best idea for the twins to, 
trade from an already depleted farm system. It's not a bad farm system, kind of middle of the pack right after trading away a bunch of guys last year and seeing that backfire. There's no player the Twins can pick up at the trade deadline who's going to completely alter their offense unless Shohei Otani is available. And if he is, the Twins don't have the capital to trade for him anyway. And so there's nobody that can come in and just fix your offense like that. And so there was a quote from uh, Falvey today basically just saying, if the twins are going to improve, it's going to come from the guys on the roster right now. And I am fully on board with that. Right. That's maybe a little frustrating for people to hear because like, Oh, it's just bad. Just pick up a guy here, pick up a guy there, but it's going to be so expensive. You're not going to be able to actually make that much of a difference with one bat. And so you've got to figure out a way to get Cray and Buxton going because that's how this team turns around. Yeah. It's, it's also frustrating because Correa's ground ball rate actually hasn't increased that much. Oh, interesting. It, I mean, it's increased. It, it went from 44% or 44.6% last year to 47.8% this year. So it, it's a little bit of an increase. Yeah, nothing significant. But though. it's not significant. Yeah, he's actually kind of around his career average, if we're being completely honest, of like his, his ground ball rate. Um, but I don't know. It's it's part of the part of the struggle with this this team is that they just can't generate hard contact at the right time. Um, they're 24th in the league in terms of hard or hard hit balls, um, like the hard hit ball percentage. And so yeah, it's just, it's, it's one of those things where it, it's easy to pick on career because he's grounding into obviously a, a league leading and on record yeah, pace to, to the most it. ever. Right. Exactly. Um, but at the same time, like, he actually has performed really well in the past few days with the team moving him to leadoff position. Like it, yeah. I think he had like seven hits or something like that in in ten at bats or something like that. So like he was doing really well. It just it's just like it, the times when it happens, obviously, are just gut wrenching. Yeah, and I mean, again, you want to give him the credit. You want to give him the credit for you know he's been playing better. He's been getting more hits. A lot of those against Kansas City, mm-hmm. but his OPS is still just kind of going up and down right around the 700 mark, right? He's yeah. His batting average is just flirting with the Mendoza line. Same thing with uh, Buxton. Buxton has a little bit higher of an OPS because he's had a little more power than Correa has had so far this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you need the two guys that you're paying a lot of money, that you're paying a lot of money to hit very well. And with Buxton, that's the only thing you're bringing. You need them to hit better. And if they don't, this team isn't going to be good. And that's just the reality of it. Yeah, it's uh, kind of frustrating. Of course, we're kind of stalling because this next game just <laughs> there's nothing to talk about here. It's it was a 15-2 loss. Joe Ryan was a starter, four point one innings, five hits, five in runs, two walks, but ten strikeouts. That's that's the weirdest part about this whole thing was that despite like the terrible line, he was actually pitching really well. Um, his fastball and slider were good, you know, just just like his most recent start. Up until the fifth, the only blip was really a homer that he gave up to Austin Hayes in the second inning. Uh, but then it kind of. St- unraveled not not even completely his fault in the in the fifth like there was a base runner on then he gave up a two-run homer then he had two straight walks to rushman in, in santander which i didn't love his pitch selection there um he the the at-bat to adley was maybe the weirdest one he he had he started out with a strike uh fastball and then just went breaking ball after that just like i think it was like four splitters and, and a slider um and just tried to get him to whiff he did. He, it, it was like a three-two count, I believe. Like he, he did get a foul ball, but like I just when you're Joe Ryan, you have one of the best pitches in the game in your like fastball. I don't know why you're not doing that. Why you're not using yeah. that to get 
a guy like um, a, a star like Adley Rushman to, to you know, strike yeah. out. The Santander one. It's overthinking it, I think. It, yeah. In my opinion, he he should have at least thrown another fastball just, just to get him to chase on a high one. Maybe he goes for that, something like that. Yeah. Um, so the Santander uh, walk was a little bit better in terms of his pitch selection. Like he, he mixed it up a little bit more, but he, he it was still pretty much all his pitches were outside to Santander just trying to get him to whiff. And um, I would, you know, just inside fastballs, man, sometimes being able to just get a guy to kind of shift where he's looking in, in, mm-hmm. in the batter's box, it's just, it would just be better. But, you know, I'm not a major league starting pitcher, so I don't know what I'm really talking about. <laughs> it, it is similar to how we feel about uh, Duran a lot of the times where I'm like, let's let's not overthink this. You throw a 100, 300, four mile an hour fastball, you throw 100 mile an hour splitter. How about we just stick with those? You know, we don't need to accidentally hang a curveball. Let's uh, <laughs> let, let's stick with those, and you're going to get guys out. Yeah, so. I mean, his first pitch curveballs are so disgusting because like batters are just like, oh, he, he threw a hundred to three mile an hour fastball out of the zone. Nope, he just dropped it in for an eighty nine mile an hour curveball. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I think there's a little bit of that going on with Joe Ryan. Of course, like you're saying, we're not we're not major league pitchers because maybe for all we know, Adley's sitting there looking fastball and then yeah, hammers out of the park, you know? So yeah. um, it's, it's a cat and mouse game. It always is. Yeah. I mean, if we're, if, if we really want to go recency bias, three of the homers in his game against Atlanta came off his fastball. So there um, you go. It, it's not a perfect pitch, but it is a really good one. Um, so of course he only gave up five earned runs. Two of those were, uh, after he left the game, walking Rutschman and Santander, Giovanni Moran came in, ultimately let those two score, and then let in three more runs as the Orioles batted around. And then just for fun, the Orioles decided to bat around again in the sixth inning uh, against Cole Sands for six more runs. And that was pretty much all she wrote. Um, the bats, you know, back to our regular bad habits, 12 strikeouts. Cal Gibson was the starting pitcher for the Orioles, so maybe a little bit of oh. revenge game factor in, in that aspect. <laughs> Um, they were only able to generate four hits, and pretty much all our offense came from Edward Julian, who had the only hits and the RBIs on the night uh, with a double and a solo homer. I am begging Julian to start taking some reps at third over the All-Star <laughs> break to keep him from getting sent down. He needs to be on the team. Um, it, yeah, it's it, – I mean, here's the thing, right? The thing with the thing with Julian about his arm strength that I think like what scouting reports and, and people have said is that he has good – arm strength when he's throwing from the back, like at second base, it's when he's like in that no man zone between first and second, where the arm, like it feels, a, looks a little weird. Like the action is yeah. not, not great. So maybe he could generate enough velocity from third. I just really wouldn't want to see it. Yeah. I mean, I know he did get Tommy Johns a few years ago. And so that's probably a big reason why the arm yeah. strength has never really come back. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, the, for me, the biggest disappointment in this game was Cole Sands where we're just like, got you, you just need to get a few guys out, right? You need to eat some innings here. And obviously it's the last game before the all-star break. So if you really need to throw Griffin Jacks or Duran out there, it's not the end of the world, but you would have just preferred that Sands came in and just ate most of the innings until the end. And he just wasn't even able to get two outs. So um, he's the long reliever for a reason, but still you would have liked to see something a little bit better than that. Right. Um, and my other thing I have to say about this game is that I did not watch a single pitch in it. And I'm very happy. I didn't, I was at a lovely uh, brunch with my wife this morning and I checked the score on my way home and I was like, <laughs> Oh God, this, this is awful. And so everything I have to say about this inning, uh, about this game is based solely on me looking at a box score. I didn't even watch any recaps cause I couldn't bring myself to do it. You want to know something funnier? 
Yeah. Uh, I went to every single game this week, except <laughs> for this one. Uh, I went to the entire Royal series. I went to game one and game two of the Oriole series. And I thankfully had something to do today in the afternoon. So I was like, <laughs> I'm not going to go to this twins game. Uh, maybe, you know, superstitious twins fan. Maybe they'll win, you know, when I'm not at the ballpark. No, they decide to lay the absolute goose eggs of goose eggs. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking for literally any other bright spot here, this is one of the only losses like this the Twins have had all year because the pitching has been so good, you yeah, know? And true. so, like, there's not a lot of, like, 15-2 losses like there were last year with Dylan Bundy and Chris Archer. And oh, so, yeah, the good old days. Uh, definitely, definitely some some better bright spots. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, I mean, Ed Julian, I think, showing that, you know, this ultimately, this game put him into the lead for the team lead for OPS. So, I think he's clearly showing that his bat belongs. But we've, we've seen what happens when prospects show that their bat belongs they get sent down to triple a like matt wolner so yeah exactly all right let's get into our next topic here uh the mlb draft is currently going on the twins have made a few picks here to get things going hopefully in the right direction so uh let's start with the big pick which was pick number five the twins jumped up in the first draft lottery from pick 13 where they're supposed to be all the way up to pick number five in what was widely considered to be a five-player draft Leading up to the draft, there was a lot of questions about, okay, who are the Twins going to take? You know, the first four seemed like they were locked in in some order. But at number five, were the Twins going to take the last high school guy of those top five remaining? Were they maybe going to go with a different college bat, try to save some money on a bonus pool and get a second guy later? Um, The one I heard a lot specifically was that they were going to try to get, uh, what's his name, Jacob Gonzalez. Uh, at number five and yep. then try to convince noble meyer to stick around to 34 and give him a big way over slot bonus mm-hmm. i think the biggest reason they ended up going with their pick here which was walker jenkins the fifth of those fifth guys was because there was no way noble meyer was going to get to them at 34 mm-hmm. and so they didn't want to run the risk and so maybe compositely it would have better get those two realistically it probably wasn't an option so you take the best guy available so let's talk a little bit about walker jenkins who he is where he fits in for the twins um like I mentioned before, this was kind of considered to be a five-player draft. He was considered to be a guy that could go number one overall in a lot of other years. So you look at a guy like Jackson Holiday, who went number one last year. Mm-hmm. Um, Walker Jenkins, there, it would have been basically a coin flip is what they were saying on the broadcast between would Jenkins go first, would Holiday go first, and Jackson Holiday looks like one of the best prospects in baseball. So He's, he's at double-A now, which is incredible. Yeah, he just got promoted double-A today. And so that kind of gives you a good idea for the type of guy Walker Jenkins is. Now, the main thing that should be noted about him is he is 18. He's a high schooler. Those guys, they're very unpredictable to try to figure out what they're going to turn into. Because think about yourself when you're 18 versus yourself when you're 22, 23. Your body changes a lot. Your habits change a lot. There's just a lot of stuff that goes on between there. It's a lot harder to predict. And so what you're looking at a lot of times with these high school guys isn't really stats because, of course, he's going to hit well against – uh, 16-year-olds throwing 55-mile-an-hour fastballs, but you're looking at the traits. Mm-hmm. And that's what this guy has. He's 6'3", he's 210, he's decently fast for his size, and he looks like he's going to get bigger, stronger as he builds out here. Um, and kind of that's the main scouting report on him is he has really good power, and if he wants to reach that top-tier superstar-level potential, it's going to be the hit tool that kind of has to catch up with the power that's going to be there. That sounds familiar. That's because that's what a lot of people said about Trevor Larnick when the Twins drafted him in the first round. Uh, what, 2019, was it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and so it's very similar to that. The difference being Jenkins is leaps and bounds better prospect than Larnick ever was. 
and he's 18 the twins will have more time with him to develop him before he's subjected to things like the rule five draft roster options things like that they'll have a lot more time to work with him and develop that uh one of the things that i really liked uh that they talked about on the broadcast was his work ethic uh kylie mcdaniel who is espn's main draft analyst over there uh he talked about uh, his work ethic and said his scouts praise his makeup as much as his physical tools and so basically just saying like yeah, he's got all these tools, but also he's got that work ethic. He's going to come in. He's going to do what he can to get to where he needs to um, to reach his top potential. And so I think that's a big thing that really appeals to me because so much of what's going to happen between now and 2025, 2026, 2027, whenever he finally makes his way up to the Twins is going to depend on him personally and uh, how he works. John, whatever thoughts do you have about uh, Jenkins here? So I was I was looking at his makeup. And I was just trying to think, like, okay, what's a comp that I can give for this guy? And you know, a lot, a lot of people, you know, when they give comps, they throw a little bit, guys, you know, ceiling guys, essentially, because I mean, that, that's obviously how you want to project, yeah, right? Totally. So you know, there's one like Kyle Tucker, Bryce Harper. It's like, oh, those are great names. And I was like looking at him. It's like, I'm not gonna lie, he kind of reminds me of Max Kepler, <laughs> <laughs> which I don't like. It's it's a good thing and kind of a wary thing where it's you know. Like hit rates on prospects is incredibly low, right? It's like, so hard. Yeah. Like, it's impossible uh, to tell what someone's going to be. Yeah. Like two guys that the twins drafted, you know, basically four or five years ago, Aaron Sabato is basically probably never going to play major league baseball. Right. Keone Cavaco probably also is never going to play major league baseball. Both those guys were, you know, rel- relatively, you know, highly touted prospects when they were drafted. Um, that could be the same with Walker Jenkins, but I love the fact that, like, yeah, he's he's a guy who probably would have gone first in any other draft if you know that the talent wasn't yeah. so top heavy in this one. And he is huge, but he's got the speed, which I think reminds me a little bit of Kepler. He has a better arm than Kepler, uh, which I think is is nice. And the the hit tool is also reminds me a little bit of Kepler. With you know, some he probably has better power in my opinion uh, than Kepler did as a prospect. Um, so that's kind of where I, I see him. Uh, if he if he does end up switching to a corner outfield position, I think he'd be a plus defender um, in those moves. I, I'd, I'd really like to see if the, the speed sticks as he moves through the system. Yeah, definitely. That's going to be the big difference between is he a center fielder or is he a corner outfielder because he has the arm. Uh, the scouts were really praising his like instincts too for fielding, mm-hmm. but it's just does he have the actual speed to remain out there? And that's something where he's 6'3", 210 right now. We talked about how he's 18, he's going to bulk up, he's going to get bigger. Yeah. Does the speed stay or does it go? And it's different for different guys, right? You look at a guy like Julio Rodriguez. That was the big concern with him as a prospect was he's really, really fast right now. Mm-hmm. We're not sure if that's going to stay once, you know, he's good enough to play in the majors. It did. And now he's one of the best center fielders, uh, defensive center fielders in baseball. And so right. just, speed is kind of the one thing that's pretty hard to project if you're projecting guys to get bigger. Right. Like Walker Jenkins is never going to be like a Corbin Carroll kind of, kind of player, right? but he could be, you know, Kyle Tucker, where he gets, you know, maybe 15 to 20 steals a season, yeah. something like that. And I mean, the, the steals game obviously is a little bit different nowadays. Yes, steals are up this season, but it's still not like as uh, as potent as they, you know, were in previous years where like, you know, people just, you know, if you're like the old twins, you just make contact and get a guy over to second and, you know, hopefully right. has enough speed to get home. Like it's a different game now. Uh, but having that speed is probably better in terms of defense. And that that's, I think that's going to be interesting to see where the twins go with that, because, 
they've got a lot of guys who they've kind of like, oh, maybe we can move into center field, but they don't really have any center fielders in the system yeah. right now who are like, uh, who are like, uh, okay. majorly caliber. And I think when you're looking at this pick, the the name of the game is going to be patience, right? This isn't yeah. Brooks Lee like last year, where Brooks Lee, it's like he's got a lot of, you know, big ready to go tools already. He was yeah. a college shortstop. He's at double A already. There's a good chance he's at triple A the second half of this year. Mm-hmm. This isn't going to be that, right? This is going to be a guy they're going to take his time. And if he does great, then great. He'll move up faster. But right. you're never expecting that with a high schooler. If it happens, yeah. it happens. If it doesn't, that's okay. And so they'll they'll take their time with him. And this is really, you know, a best player available type of pick. Yeah. And John was talking a lot about Kepler, but again, this I, I would say Kepler's like his floor. Like, yeah, th- that's is, that's where I see it for sure. His floor. Yeah, is where it's like I, I don't think he's gonna. And, you know, injury concerns aside, Max Kepler is kind of like the worst case scenario for Walker Jenkins. Completely, because yeah. it, it's risky to take high school bats. But if you're gonna take a high school bat, this is the type of guy that you take. This is the type of guy that tends to work out for sure. Super toolsy. Um, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I legitimately, like, I think Kyle Tucker is actually a really good comp um, for for Walker Jenkins. Like, they have very similar. Uh, makeups and that if if he turns out to be Kyle Tucker that would be amazing yeah that Kyle Tucker is one of the most underrated players in baseball right now probably yeah, and so Dusty Baker doesn't move him from number six in the lineup but you know that's <laughs> not John's here not, nor John's not better but uh, yeah I'm totally uh, not bitter about that <laughs> you know I, I'm really excited about this pick I I'd kind of talked myself into okay yeah you know if you can get two guys uh for the price of one maybe maybe that's a good move but yeah. at the end of the day I'm very happy that they just took the best player that they were able to get here. Same. I, I was like, a, I, I wouldn't say I was worried, but I, I had seen some mocks where they had mocked um, Kyle Teal, who's a college catcher yeah. from Virginia to the twins. And that felt like a very twins move to do where it's like, yeah, we'll go for a guy who's like in the 10 to 15 range under slot. And you know, like you said, maybe you go after a guy like Noble Meyer or um, another top tier, like prep pitcher, but um, luck for them. They didn't have to actually go, they didn't have to dig the uh, like uh, sign under slot that much to get a top yeah, tier prep pitcher. Definitely. Before, before we move on to uh, their second pick here, the one other thing I want to say about Jenkins is that the concern for him, if there is a concern mm-hmm. is that handmade injury we were talking about at the top of the show. Right. Um, he had, he got that uh, the spring of his junior year. Uh, so he basically missed that entire period, which is kind of like the most important period for these prep players where Mm -hmm. this is where you get a chance you're going to play the full season you're really going to showcase all your skills you're going to show where you're at you're going to play on some like professional development circuits and he didn't really get the chance to do that he came back uh this spring and looked really really good but uh like we talked about that hamate injury can sometimes sap the power um but i'm sure the twins got clear medicals on it and um i don't think they would have taken him here at five when they had other options if they didn't feel good about it yeah and, and the twins are notorious for, you know, signing guys who have a little bit of injury history. So, you know, this wouldn't be the first time that we take a little bit of a, a swing at someone who the makeup is a little scary. Yeah, definitely. All right, let's let's uh, let's get to the next pick here. So competitive balance uh, round A, pick number 34 overall. That's the important part. Uh, they took Charlie Soto who is high school righty. He's 17 years old, but he's 6'5 and has a mid to high 90s fastball already. Uh, John, why don't you tell us a little bit more about his uh, pitch mix and what he has? Yeah, so his his fastball, it's in the mid 90s, but it it kind of will touch 98, and I think he's hit triple digits before on it as well. Um, 
you know, if you're looking at MLB pipeline, um, they grade it out as a, a 60 grade. So above average, you know, on a 20 to 80 grade, um, his two breaking pitches are pretty well developed, but that's kind of the, one of the fears with, with, um, high school pitchers is that they have a good fastball and then they have like an okay breaking ball. Uh, but the nice thing with Soto is that he actually has two solid secondary pitches. His slider grades, uh, according to MLB pipeline is a 55. So above average, and then the changeup is a 50 grade, but based on what I've seen from other scouts and things like that, you know, they, they actually say that his, his changeup is a plus pitch. So more likely like a 55 to a 60 grade, like it, it's definitely got a, a good, um, good shape to it. And um, it was actually interesting. He was interviewed on ESPN prior to the draft because he was actually at in Seattle for the draft. And he was talking about how he um, one of the interesting tidbits was that he he started out as a shortstop. And so when he moved to, to pitcher, he was kind of trying everything. So he, he had a two seamer and a four seamer. And his four seamer has like really good break. Like he called it. It kind of it kind of is acts like a sinker. Um, and he was like, yeah, my, my two seamer too, like has really good movement. I just don't throw it. As, I just don't throw it. Cause I want to focus on my fastball, but he does like, he's a very cerebral guy in, in, to this, but he was talking about how ultimately he wants to, his pitch shape for his sliders and his changeup is to make him look like a fastball as much as possible. And coming from a kid who's only 17, I think that's like just cool to see for him joining the twins who are like super analytical about that love, like to develop sliders and things like that. Um, yeah, I, I could see him having already have good breaking pitches being a really good thing for the Twins to work with. Yeah, I, I was really impressed with him. They did an interview with him on ESPN. He was there for the draft. So you got to see him there with his family and a few friends. You know, that, that was really cool to see too. And uh, yeah, the I think the important things here, right, are he's 17. He's going to develop a lot. He's already 6'5 and throws yeah. that fastball. And I think, again, like Jenkins, as he grows into his frame a little bit there's going to be more to work with um and, and a little bit more you can unlock and you're talking about the mindset i think that's a really important thing the twin for the twins too and probably a big reason they took him here because uh we've seen them be very successful with these later round picks being able to develop them into good starting pitchers right mm-hmm. bailey ober louis varland there's a bunch of guys now down at the uh, low a high a ranks that are off to really really good starts who were uh low draft picks last year now what if you take that and you put it on a guy who's 17 and 65 and can throw 98 you know like if you find the guys with the right mindset that are willing to learn it seems like the twins have the system in place to help them you know achieve their max potential and so This is kind of an interesting one to me where I think they wanted to do this with Chase Petty a few years ago before they uh, flipped in for Sonny Gray. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's going to kind of really put that pitching development pipeline that they've done a really good job of establishing and putting a higher level, higher potential prospect in there and seeing what they can do with that. Yeah. And, you know, Soto, we got him at pick 34, kind of looking at a bunch of big boards. He was kind of in that range, like low 20 or kind of late 20s, early 30s. So, you know, we got him pretty much right around slot. I wouldn't be surprised if the Twins offer him a little bit more because he is a high schooler. He's committed to going to college next year, technically. Um, But um, I could see the Twins going a little bit over slot here to to make sure they get their guy. Also, another another interesting tidbit was that Soto was actually the fifth youngest player who who. was eligible for the draft. He's, his birthday's in August, so he legitimately like super raw as well. Nice. Uh, yeah, so I, I think that's important thing to note here, right, with the MLB draft and how it works. Uh, every team has their bonus pools. You have to spend the whole pool. So we talk about going over slot or under slot. 
the teams are always going to spend all that money. It's just how they spend that money and how they divvy it up. So with Jenkins, with Soto, Soto, they're probably going to have to go a little bit over slot. Uh, although in all the interviews, it seemed like he was very excited to pitch for the Twins. And mm-hmm. so maybe they don't. I don't know. <laughs> maybe yep. he, he might be one of those guys. Everybody commits to a college because you have to have that for negotiating purposes, basically. Uh, but he's a guy who um, seems like he's pretty committed to going pro. Same thing with Jenkins, uh, where it seems like he's a really good chance at just going pro right away. But you do kind of have to work with that from a negotiating standpoint, which means for Soto, for Jenkins, they're probably going to go over slot a little bit, which means uh, their later picks, they maybe are not going to have enough money or maybe uh, for their second round or third round picks, they're going to go a little bit under slot, which maybe informs uh, the pick that they made at 49 with the second baseman from Arizona State, Luke, uh, I want to say Keyshaw, but I'm not entirely sure. Do you have any idea, John? I think it's Keyshaw. I, I don't have anything better than that. We'll, we'll go with Keyshaw for this conversation. Uh, if we're incorrect, I'm sorry. Uh, but this pick also came in as we were recording. So yeah. um, we, we weren't there to uh, listen to it. So, uh, John, what do you know about our friend Luke here? Yeah, so he's a second base from ASU. You mentioned that. Um, his grades are kind of all over the place. Uh, according to MLB Pipeline, he's got a 55 hit tool, 45 power, 55 run, 50 arm, 45 fielding. So an overall, a little bit below average. Um, he actually spent his first two years of college at the University of San Francisco and then transferred over to Arizona State. Um, so just, you know, bigger presence in a bigger conference in the Pac-12. So obviously just a little bit more scouts on him is, is nice. Um, if you are a subscriber of The Athletic, Keith Law is over there and he had Keyshaw at 41. So, you know, oh, this could have been an, a nice pick. Um, the main thing with him is he doesn't have a ton of power and he doesn't have great uh, ability in the zone. Apparently like he'll, he'll, he has challenges with off speed pitches, which isn't great from a guy who's just in college, um, can kind of a little, little Eddie Rosario in him, or he'll, he'll swing at fastballs up in the zone. Um, he did have a good season last year, which is why he is like, why he's gone up rankings. He had 18 homers. He was slashing, you know, 353, 443, 725. Like that 725 slug is pretty sick. But again, this is college. So who knows? Um, the main thing about him is that he makes good contact. You know, that hit tool 55, it's, that's above average. He's got the speed, decent arm. I think the question is, where is he going to fit? Is he going to be at second base? Or are they going to move him to the outfield because of that speed? Um, doesn't have you know, the greatest power. And he is, he, he is young. He's only 21. So he still has plenty of time to grow. So maybe he's able yeah. to develop that power. And the twins actually, their hitting development actually is like, is decent at finding power in batters. Um, that's kind of been a trend in, in, in their minor league, um, minor league batters. So maybe, maybe they find something that they can develop in there. Um, but again, he's a second round pick. So who knows where he ends up? Like the draft is such a crap shoot. Um, he yeah. could end up being a guy who is a really serviceable fourth outfielder for this team or a utility infielder, kind of maybe in the makeup of Austin Martin or something like that. Um, but, you know, we'll see. He'll probably, of, of these three guys, he's probably the one who we'll see in the majors the soonest. Um, but that's probably only because he's like three years older than the other guys. Right, exactly. I mean, just like literally technically from the roster perspective, like if he's going to be on the team, he'll have to be added to the 40-man roster sooner yeah. than the other two will. And so that that gives him a good chance of nothing else. But yeah, there's, I, I think when you get past the first like 15, 20, 30-ish picks, mm-hmm. really at that point, it's just 
what do each of these teams like? What do they value? And sometimes it's just what deals have we worked out with guys ahead of time where they say, hey, maybe with Keyshaw, right? They're like, hey, if you're available here at 40, we're going to take you. Here's what we're going to offer you so that in round three later on, we can offer this guy a little bit above slot, right? Mm -hmm. Or because we took Jenkins number one, we're going to give him over slot. We have to take under slot here. And so there's a lot of that that goes on. And it's just, there's no consensus, right? And to that point, MLB Pipeline has him rated as the 90th best prospect, right? right? And so that just with... Two very good, reputable scouters there with Law and McDaniel. They're just so far apart in their evaluations. And so it's also so hard because you you can't just look at what they are now, right? It's so much about tools, about frames a lot of the time where it's like, does this person have a frame that we believe can turn into a powerful power hitting type of guy? Mm -hmm. And the great example I always like to go back to with that is Corbin Carroll, who um, when he was drafted, very fast, good hit tool, no power basically whatsoever. Yeah. Now he's developed power and he's one of the best hitters in baseball. And right. so, and then on the flip side, right, that was kind of the thought with Nick Madrigal when he was taken towards yeah. the top of the draft a few years ago. He has developed absolutely no power and he's a replacement level player. And so yeah. it's, it's, it's impossible to try to figure out how these guys are going to develop and each team has certain things that they're good at, right? We've talked about the twins already. They're, mm-hmm. they're pitching pipeline. They're really good at having those pitchers buckle down on their strengths and turning them into the best versions of themselves, whatever that ends up being. Now, I think this year they've taken three hitters or sorry, two hitters in their first three picks here. Mm-hmm. Um, now let's see if we can develop a little more hitting, especially with a guy like Walker Jenkins, who is, top of the top level on the prospect tier list. I think for sure. if we're looking at where these guys are going to slide in for the uh, Twins top prospects, I don't have a good read on Soto or Keyshaw, but Jenkins is either going to, either going to be one or two uh, behind Brooks Lee, I would imagine. Yeah, And so um, it's the, these are good players. I think the Twins have a good strategy that they're doing so far here. Mm-hmm. Um, the caveat we have to mention, as always, is they're not officially part of the organization until they sign. And yep. so... Uh, we'll, we'll see which ones do, which ones don't. But I think so far this is, this is a good three for three to get us started. Yeah, I I have no complaints. I mean, I, I felt like we should have drafted Walker Jenkins at the fifth pick when when the pick came. Um, yeah. I was, you know, the funny thing about draft prep is, you know, you, you know, like maybe the top five to ten guys, and then you just learn about other dudes as the <laughs> draft goes on. And so yeah. was, uh, Walker Martin was a, num- was a name that I was like kind of rooting for. He's a super toolsy prep shortstop we didn't pass him but we got soto instead i was like hey i know a little bit about soto i'm kind of happy about this pick yeah it's always fun how that goes there there was another guy um i wrote about who was in the running potentially for the twins to take a five uh brayden taylor out of mm-hmm. tcu and i'm like personally i just want to get him because he went to high school like five minutes from my house oh, and sure. so i'm like that would be kind of cool just for me personally yeah and so that, that's kind of what you get out with the mlb draft right with right. like the NBA, which I know we're both fans of, it's so much easier to project. Hey, this guy is going to be good. Victor Wembanyama, the seven foot five guy who handles like a guard and shoots threes, he's probably going to be pretty good, right? right? But there's so much that changes with the MLB guys between when they're drafted and when they actually play. Yeah. There's sure there's guys like Zach Neto on the Angels who got drafted last year and is starting shortstop this year. Yeah, but those are so few and far between that you know it, it just so rarely happens. Right. But, yeah. I, I was rooting a little bit at number five for Max Clark just because everything mm-hmm. about him was screaming Corbin Carroll to me. Sure. Where he's got top level speed, he's got a really good hit tool. And then if you find the power in there, that's all of a sudden one of the best players in baseball. Didn't make it down to him, but uh, I, I'm pretty happy with Jenkins. Yeah. I would have loved it if Wyatt Langford dropped to us, but um, I'm, I'm cool with, with I'm cool with Jenkins at five. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. Uh, last thing here, we'll, we'll go quick before we wrap up, but the uh, weekly injury update can't get by without it. But we already mentioned Jorge Polanco. He's expected to start a rehab assignment next weekend, uh, basically right after the all-star break, uh, get down, get some games with the Saints, hopefully be back up with the Twins soon. The best version of the Twins has both Julian and Polanco in it. The Twins need to figure out a way to do it. Yeah, and we talked ad nauseum about ways that we'd probably try to do it. I think my personal vote is let's just move Julian to first, Kirill off to left, and DFA Gallo. But <laughs> we'll see. If, I mean, Gallo could also be a really fun bench bat, but I just don't see that happening. Uh, what uh, our friend John Foley proposed was uh, Polanco come up, play eight healthy and productive games, then they trade him away. So <laughs> wow. that'll work too. That's uh, that. I mean, hey, let's be honest. Like Max Kepler has like like his stock has just shot up in the last three weeks. So that's true. And Polanco, I think if they decided they were going to not fully sell, but maybe swap some pieces, Mm -hmm. Polanco is somebody who he plays a premium position. He would have a lot of suitors from pretty much any contender. Yeah. Uh, And if they wanted to trade him, they have a lot of people that can fill in that spot in the future, right? They have Julian who we've talked about, Royce Lewis could play there. They have Austin Martin who could play there at some point. Brooks Lee uh, is at double A and is going to be with the big league team next year, I would imagine, at the latest. And so uh, you have all these middle infield prospects trading away. Someone like Jorge Polanco might not be the worst thing in the world. Yeah, but you know what we have a lot of as well? Corner outfielders. <laughs> that, that's true. But none of them are good so far. So, Well, I mean... Let's let's bring up Walner and see how it happens. Yeah, but that, that's fair. I, I will say, that, and this is by no no fault of his own. The, the pop that Max Kepler gets every time he gets announced at Target Field just pisses me off. For a guy who's batting two hundred seven, like he just, I don't know. Like I you mean, shouldn't be cheering that hard for that guy. Here, here's the thing. I think it's two reasons. One of them is <laughs> realistic and one of them is not. The realistic one is that he is, uh, he's been with the organization since he was, he was 16. Yeah. Every Twins fan knows who he is, right? Yep. He, um, if you go back to like the minor league time, I think he's the player who's literally been with the Twins for the longest on the team. It's either him or Polanco. I think, it's, I think, yeah, it's a tie between him. They both joined the organization. Oh, did they both join at the same time? Yeah. There you go. And so everybody knows him for that reason. The other reason is I, He's a good-looking guy, you know. Yeah. And so <laughs> he objectively is probably the most attractive dude. He's, the, he's. I know he's my wife's favorite Twins player. Well, there so. you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Last injury update: Brock Stewart, Beef Stew himself. Uh, the good news is his elbow soreness really does seem to be nothing long term, uh, and he told MLB.com that he expects Stewart to return shortly after the All Star break. I would imagine he goes down to the Saints, pitches a game or two, make sure the elbow is ready to go, um, but. Elbow injuries with uh, pitchers are always a little concerning. And if it's really nothing for Brock Stewart, that's a big deal for the bullpen. Yeah, we need him badly. Desperately. That's all Jordan, I'm going to say. Jordan Balazovic can only pitch the seventh inning for so long. <laughs> yeah, I love that Jordan Balazovic went from a guy who uh, got his jaw punched, uh, broke his jaw. <laughs> the The twins brass seem to just lose all faith in this guy. Yeah. Then he, you know, he's out for six weeks because of that. Uh, has a couple awful starts in AAA. They start moving him to this l- weird hybrid long relief starting pitcher role in AAA, and then he they call him up to the team because they have no one better to pitch. And it's like, yeah, Jordan Balazovic is now like our third best high leverage reliever. Yeah, I mean, and listen, they might be right. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, he's, he he's got the stuff. stuff at least. He's, he's got good stuff. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, I know that that's been really interesting to see how they're handling those AAA guys where it's like outside of Louis Varland, they kind of all operate in that hybrid role a little bit. I think because the twins have such good starting pitching depth in general, they're like right. the way you can actually help the major league team is with this role. Anyway, um, the last thing I want to say, Pablo Lopez was one of the injury additions to the all-star game. Uh, really great for him to see. He's been one of the best pitchers in baseball this year. I know some people look at the ERA and they're like, Oh, but if you look at literally anything except the ERA, mm-hmm. he's been one of the five or six best pitchers in the American league. And so yeah. he, he deserves it uh, more so than Sonny Gray, pretty strongly in my opinion. And so um, really good for him to see. Uh, I saw a little interview with him after he was very happy, very honored. And he's yeah. just a great guy. You love to see good things happen to good people. Yeah. Pablo's a good dude. Um, it was, it was a great when he was announced in the, in the stadium, like pretty much everyone was just, um, you know, giving him his, his flowers. Um, and it's for his first all-star appearance which is pretty impressive. Um, yeah. But I mean, he's been dealing with injury his entire season last season was his first healthy season. So it's not too surprising, but it's good to see him get recognized yeah. for, for his accolades. The Marlins and the twins made a trade and both of them got an all-star out of it. So uh, still maybe, a win, maybe everybody win can just my, be happy. Yeah. But he doesn't hit 500. Well, who cares? Yeah, he has an ERA over four. That's bad. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. All right. Uh, next week, the Twins have the All-Star break, uh, which will be good, I think, for everybody to maybe take a little bit of time away, regroup, just relax a little bit, change the vibe. And so I think that, that'll that be nice. And then they'll have uh, three games at Oakland to get started after the All-Star break. Mm-hmm. And there's no better way to uh, get started than that if uh, as long as they win, like we said with yeah. the Royals last week. As long as they win. If they lose them, it's going to be DEFCON 1. They might start selling everybody off. But um, <laughs> I, I think they'll be fine against the A's. Yeah. I mean, if we're being completely honest, like they're – They've got a couple series against the Mariners, but the Mariners also are just like a 500 team. So yeah. if we're if like before we start batting down the hatches and just getting scared, like the Orioles were like 52 and 35 or something like that. Like they're a good team. Like and there's took two out of three from them the week ago. Yeah, yeah, there's there's absolutely well, there's a little shame in getting swept at home, but like there isn't that much shame uh, for being swept by a really good team. Their their next few series are all against teams that they should handily yeah if i I remember correctly i'm pretty sure the twins have the easiest strength of schedule remaining through the rest of the year yeah but it's only because we're better than the other teams in the al central yeah basically (laughs) and so the the guardians i think have like the fifth easiest or something like that yeah but you know there's no more yankees there's no more red Sox. there's no more astros there's no more dodgers and so you know a lot of those there's no more orioles a lot of those big heavy hitters you're not gonna have to worry about the second half and so like i was saying at the top of the show it's gonna take one 12 and two week. And then whoever gets that first is going to win the division. Now, once you get to the playoffs, that's a different story. But the nice thing about where the twins are at is they have that playoff caliber rotation where if you're only giving up three or four runs every game, you just got to get a few lucky hits and you can break that curse streak. So, all right, let's, uh, let's wrap things up there. Uh, be sure to check us out on Twinkie Town if you uh, like what you heard. We have a live draft tracker going over there where we'll be posting about all of the Twins picks. I need to go in there and add some uh, good stuff about our friend Luke. But uh, we'll, we'll update that throughout the next couple of days here as we're going, uh, making sure you have all the information that you need. And then you can also check out John at Pitcher List for all of your fantasy baseball needs. John, do you have a fantasy baseball tip for All-Star Week? uh just enjoy it i guess <laughs> be glad that you don't have to like focus on a a, a, a fake baseball team for like four days yeah we're, take, we're running take a little bit of rest 
we're running thin. I have like five outfielders on the injured list currently. So yeah, um, listen, right. I'm just asking selfishly for my my sake at this point. Yeah, uh, Jaron Duran, if he's available in your league, go pick him up because he's been hot. I think he was available in like 33% of Yahoo leagues or something like that. Or he was only rostered in 33% of Yahoo leagues, so he might still be available. There you go. All right. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow John at the John Cut and myself at Ben Jones underscore five. And again, you can follow the pod at Twins Talk Pod. And be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, until then, uh, we will be back next week with some more Twins draft picks to talk about, a few games. And uh, we'll talk to you then. Go Twins. Go Twins.